0: Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. season, we're exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God. It's a practice of spirituality that's rooted in God's relational presence. In this sense, relational spirituality differs to the dominant spiritualities we used to. The Doing Church paradigm, along with our devotional and formative spiritualities, are rooted in the paradigms of silence and mystery. In this week's episode, we take a stab at one of the uh, sacred cows of modern Christianity and that's preaching. Preaching really differs to process and it's very important that we consider whether preaching is actually meeting its stated goals and needs and whether it's actually doing what we think it's doing. So in this conversation we really just start, well in this episode we really just start that conversation between Steve and myself and in next week's episode we'll really just dive into process and the question of process. Process and individual growth and relational pursuit really takes place in the nitty gritty of actual relationships. and so. It's foundational to relational spirituality and foundational to a relational theology that we develop and gain a perspective on individual growth and, um, and consider what kind of processes enable us to cultivate intimacy with God and therewith arrive at some deep relational union with God in the context of our lives. And most especially how it is we can go about entering deeply into living and loving is actually through entering into processes of relational engagement rather than passively consuming information that we never get to put into practice and that we can't actualize in our lives. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a comment on your favorite listening platform. We genuinely believe that nurturing the value for intimacy with God leads to practicing the presence of God and that this is the most important and critical quest for our generation. We rely on your general support to do this work. If you'd like to support us, follow the link in the show notes to PayPal to make a contribution to our work. Steve, the last chat that we had was a was a few weeks ago, and we we finally did a chat on the Bible, which I thought was 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 great, and it's elicited a, a number of interesting conversations and sub-reflections. I feel like a natural step from there is to is to consider preaching versus process, the difference between hearing teaching versus participating in, in change and, and, and journeying together as people. So I guess there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to go about doing this, but to start off with I feel that it's important to acknowledge that to touch on the subject of preaching is again to touch one of the sacred idols of Christianity especially of the protestant evangelical world and i know that the minute you start touching idols and upending them a little you get quite a strong response from people so i i feel like we're, we, we, we i feel like this is one of those dangerous topics but it's a very important one cuz in in my life and journey i've made a transition from preaching and teaching and, and, and really being schooled into seeing those as being such important, valuable practices and they're critical and we can't do without them to really just getting to a place where I feel like, well, actually, that's nearly useless and what a waste of time and I don't want to sit through another sermon in my life, <laughs> and on one hand. And then on another hand, Really starting to see the importance of storytelling, deep listening, uh, and embodying practices that go together in processes, and people sharing those authentic journeys together, as just such a stark contrast. Almost where you can have a teaching list environment that is powerfully transformative over time, as people give themselves that, as opposed to this this preaching and teaching environment which which we're told so often is just so powerful and so transformative and it's so life-changing and so life-giving and, and people talk about this as though it's their food and their spiritual substance. And I don't want to take away from the the place where real teaching actually matters, where people actually learn things, but I think that in the context of church we apply the word teaching to sermons and messages and people aren't actually learning anything. So I just wanted to start off and and, and throw that out, if there's any kind of meaningful introduction or just kickback that you might have.
1: You know, I was thinking a little bit about our, our recording on the Bible and thinking now about this topic as well in that it's unbelievably difficult to do a completely fair take on this where we can be critical where we need to and kind of, you know, sort of balanced and, and accurate as well, because there are so many different expressions of of Christian church that, you know, there's always going to be even if they're outliers and even if there are a bit more people going, yeah, but like our church reads the Bible well, or, or uh, you know, we we do teaching and preaching properly and and whatever. And so, I do I do agree. I think there is a big kind of majority, especially in Protestant churches that that just have this overemphasis on on preaching, on speaking. Because yeah, even here I feel like I want to stop and just go laterally a little bit. And I don't want to lose the flow of what I'm saying. But it's I think it's quite it's quite important that we're careful about what we're saying. Like what do we mean by this? And preaching can just mean a whole bunch of things. And I think that's partly why I I sort of pause for a second and go, it is important to critique this and to talk about it. And there are also probably some spaces where people just say, oh, that's a bit unfair. As you say, you know, that kind of the, the, it's a golden calf and an idol for, for many, many places. I mean, I can remember a conversation with the church leader years ago where I was just trying to stimulate some different conversation. And he eventually, after what I thought, I thought I was delivering some really fascinating thinking and like new ideas and let's be curious. And he just stopped me and said, I'm just gonna stop you right there. We will always preach. It's central to what we do. Like it is just always gonna happen. So like you can't touch that. I so, thought, well, there you go.
0: That's it. That says it very clearly.
1: And and it reminds me of another experience with someone who – I was just talking to them about kind of – because they saw themselves as a very gifted up-and-coming preacher, and I think it would be fair to say that they were were quite enamored by their ability to use language and arguments, and they had a phenomenal biblical knowledge. I mean, they could pull stuff out that you just think, how the hell do you remember all of that? It was very, very impressive. And so I was just trying to, well, if I'm, uh, to be fair, I was trying to push a couple of buttons, if I'm honest, which is never too far off the radar, I think. But also I was really just trying to push a little and stimulate some thinking and go, okay, so you stand up. And this is kind of where I'm getting to the definition side. You, you stand up. There's a group of people, some listeners, who've gathered for who knows how many different reasons, but ostensibly there is a central reason around them gathering to hear somebody speak about you know, passages from the Bible or, you know, church governance, or there's all sorts of, you know, things do like Jesus's life, teaching example, how to witness, whatever it might be. And and they've gathered to hear you or a couple of other trusted people speak. And, and that's really what's going on here. You're standing up in front of a group of people and you're speaking to them. You are delivering a message. You're delivering content. And sometimes people do it in fancy ways and there's smoke machines and audio visual and blah, 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 blah. But, It is a one-sided interaction. The message goes out and the people sit passively and they listen. And if there's any kind of sense, very often I think, of kind of mutual interaction or reciprocal sort of reciprocity happening within that interaction, it's usually relegated to, well, the one person will speak or a couple of people will speak or whatever, and then we'll do some music as a response. And I think to myself, that's like going on a date with somebody and the one person gets to talk and then the other one will sing a song and then they go home. You <laughs> think like... And we'll just say real communication happened there. Well done. And so I was saying, so what is your job as a speaker to ensure that your message has gone through? And isn't it most important to do that by having some kind of engagement, questions, feedback, blah, blah, blah? And they said, no the only important thing is that the message is proclaimed that's what we're doing and i'm trying to think of exactly the word that comes i'm sure you'll have it it's preaching is proclamation is is what is it it's heralding it's speaking it's speaking out the message and that's how deeply tied in terms of a sense of you know power and god's ability to achieve things and people being touched and people being transformed etc it's that deeply rooted in if we just say kind of enough words for enough length of time with enough bible verses or whatever it might be and often in very clever ways convincing ways some very very i've heard some phenomenal orators you know speak very gifted speakers communicators etc but it's just if the if the message goes out if we just send and there's a receiver on the other side. And that's all that's that all that matters. And I used to buy into that in a big way, but over time I've seen other ways of looking at, you know, and you talk about process um, that have really made me question the effectiveness, the efficacy of that as being a primarily placed practice within a group of people who are supposedly committed, and now this is my language, to a relational God with a relational spirituality, I would think. And so I think that's, you know, it's it's clear as we start to, it needs to be clear as we start to talk about preaching and process, I think, in our conversation. Like, what do we mean by that? And I think that's partly what I mean, is it is a very one-way, the receivers are very passive, you know i mean i've watched i've literally well, well, watched well, people Well, pa- passive snore. At
0: best as opposed to <laughs> being being passive to such an extent that they're hostile or they're not interested or it's not welcome
1: yeah 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 could be could be absolutely that too and i've and and i've seen people sleeping honestly sleeping and snoring through stuff and you just go... Oh, the ultimate activity
0: oh, yeah? and peace. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. How, how effective is this that we're talking about? And we're really talking about people being changed by preaching. That's partly why we do it. It's, it's a big reason. It's, it's very important. And so, there is that. There's activity on the one side, passivity on the other side. I have very little sense of a metric that can be used to measure what's actually going on there in terms of people's long-term change. Um, and as you say, I'd agree with you just to finish there, that's not to say that really good teaching, I'm not sure what I feel about preaching, I'd have to think about that a bit more, but good teaching is really valuable. I've I've had phenomenal teaching in my life, not just in a church context, but in a number of different settings, that engaged me and asked something of me, and I think that's part of what I would want to come to at some point, and And there was something that happened, you know, and I was kind of in that liminal space, I guess, where I was ready to take something on and and really be reached by something and then reach back for it myself and and kind of go with it. But I'm not convinced that that is 98% of what's happening. But it is treated as such. And so, yeah, I can't really sum that up easily. But I think it's, I agree with you, it's a very valuable and important thing for us to just talk through and and dissect a little. It's important to to be clear in what we're saying and what we're not saying, I think, and then to point towards what might be something different, you know, and you, you, you're already pointing there with the idea of process. So that's like my first thoughts. <laughs> Let's give it a bash.
0: Like, firstly, I want to distinguish teaching from preaching and and the message. In an environment where education is taking place, where people are actually learning, you're dealing with something very different. And you see that in lectures, you see that in genuine teaching environments. I just want to be very clear that that's not what takes place in church, even when the word teaching is used there's some form of message which can be motivational morality, it could be entertaining and uplifting, you know, what is the word for that? Admonishment and exhortation. Uh, it could be some form of expository preaching even, which is supposedly teaching, but people aren't generally learning in that because you're trying to give some form of macfaith, some kind of summary response that people can hinge a response to. And so generally, I think what is being satisfied is a historic is an historical imperative that preaching is supposed to be something and we hold on to what it is supposed to be we don't actually consider what it actually is and so I've often seen it in preaching environments and in evangelistic environments where people feel like this proclamation of the word of God is what changes the world and changes people's lives but what's actually being satisfied is someone's need to preach and their need to checklist what they've had to say. What's not satisfied being satisfied is whether any communication is taking place. What's not being satisfied is, is any sense of understanding who the audience is, especially in evangelistic environments and actually communicating with them. And often what is ooh, being communicated. Are now you're
1: getting close to the bone there. Ooh, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and often what is being communicated is 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 content you're supposed to trade one set of beliefs out for another and we're going to tell you what the truth is as opposed to i think more more accurately where we're preaching quote-unquote does have an effect in history is when there's when when it is a it's linked to the god who becomes present in person to speak and act and people get to engage that god and god is actually involved in that process and and basically i think we've got this assumption where the experience of god and the idea that god is there is it just collapsed into the fact that we satisfy this preaching box but we never take the step back to go is god in this are we making the sermon the main events or is this the cover band that leads to the god who draws near in person and i think that's never being solved and so so years ago when i considered evangelism very seriously and looked at deconstructing evangelism I got to see the number of ways in which various different religions, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Hare Krishnas, um, uh, the Christian Science, um, uh, some Buddhists that I'd encountered, some of the new Hindu, non-dualists, and many different Christians were going about trying to evangelize people. And I noticed how ineffective they were, and yet how effective those that offered some form of spiritual consultation was, and by spiritual consultation I mean people who work with energy, people who act as mediums, people who act as uh, um, um, some form of channeling, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and, and in comparison how effective that is because someone go, goes to them and wants to hear from some form of spiritual being. They want to be seen, they want to be careful, they want to be guided, and you can actually find good stuff out there around that. On average, if you take a look at the Christian, it's let's go to the Bible and we're going to tell you what to believe. But you're not going to get the experience that this God is real and present and active and that's pretty much in every church that we're at and it's out there on the mission field as well and where we do have that and people are touched by God as present and active they go back to these church environments where God isn't and the sermon is the main show and so you often end up with these celebrity pastors that if you are studying any form of the first year theology and you listen to the shit that they're putting out you should just pull them off the stage. I have no idea why we have these personalities up there just because they're so entertaining. I mean, yeah, they're good for the rah-rah stuff, but my goodness, the bullshit they sprout in the name of God is just absolutely unbelievable. And so even in environments where people really preach and they do genuine preaching, I've experienced a difference between almost like trying to deliver a devotion and trying to represent God devotionally in a devotional context where God draws near in person. And so, you know, you, you and I have experienced that in the past together even. And um, and it's, it's amazing how quickly you bump up against the program and what ought to happen. So I feel like on one hand, when I'm looking at preaching, I've actually just become hypercritical of it in many situations because it's just a waste of time and I honestly just don't want to sit through another sermon in my life I can't think of a worse waste of my time than being on a Sunday morning sitting through someone talking for 40 minutes to an hour and a half and just just preaching up a storm you know in me I you know even in the last few years where where I had been in church I'd actually be on my phone looking looking stuff up or my iPad And just not paying attention if i was there for anything it was there for the worship it it actually wasn't there for the sermon and 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 i say that even as someone who preaches you know i i i've done my my share of preaching i know you've done your fair share of preaching um so (laughs) i dare dare i ask what was your experience of preaching
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah that's why i was saying earlier you cut close to the bone because You know, I I recognize in earlier versions of myself and still to some extent today, what you're describing is, you know, I notice sometimes when I read, read really good stuff, I find that there's a wrestling sometimes inside myself. So I'll read something and I have the sense, oh man, that was a phenomenal quote. I should put that on Facebook. I should send that to a few people. Because it's really good stuff. And that is more often a thought that I come across. And the second one, which I think, the second one, which, whose voice is softer, will remind me. Yeah, but the reason that you're reading this is for your own benefit, actually. It's not so that you can reproduce it and send it on to someone else and maybe it'll change their life. And that's even, you know, partly shrouded in, in untruth, <laughs> if I'm generous with myself there, is actually, wow, those people will think how amazing you are because you found something so profound and knew that they needed to hear it and pass it on to them. And there's a lot of ego involved. And you put your finger on that, I think, with, again, maybe it's, not, it's probably not fair for everybody involved in preaching, but I do think that there's a, there's a surprising amount of ego involved with, look what I found, I'm going to go and tell you all about it. And I felt the allure to be the one standing at the front, delivering a teaching, to have people come and shake your hands afterwards, to come and have people come and tell you, "Oh, that was amazing! It really changed my life." Or, and I can tell you why I know that I wanted that, and still sometimes do want that, is because when it doesn't happen, you <laughs> <I> go home <laughs> miserable and depressed and think, "Oh, I didn't do a good enough job, and I didn't, you know, preach properly, and did I prepare well enough?" Da-da-da-da-da. But yeah, it's it's I think it's very much there. And I think people who are willing to be honest about why they preach and what they're looking to get out of it and what they're looking to achieve, I think they would also have to answer to their ego involved in that. And I think that so that's a that's a direct problem, a direct conflict with relational, with with deep relational interaction and with the relational spirituality, because the ego cannot take the lead in deep relationship because the ego will always look to protect the self will always look to exaggerate the self to put forward the most polished version of the self. So we'll lie about the self to try and promote. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all at a certain superficial level relationship serving and self-serving. It's, it's looking to make the relationship work, but for your own benefit, people will like you, people will accept you, people will take you in, spend time with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but it's it's not it's not real because because real relationship is self-disclosing. It's risk. It's 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 grappling internally with the own sense of self and realizing your own sense of self and then being willing to risk that with others, um, and allowing them to risk themselves with you, um, and and so that's that doesn't promote any deep and real relational interaction. But I see it and I've seen it in myself and i would have to own that first i think to be for for me to be fair enough to make any comment elsewhere but i but i also see it elsewhere and then something else that you said made me think about uh, about a parallel process that i've been privileged enough to witness which is which is within educational institutions who've had to answer this question some of them couldn't ignore the question anymore even though they tried others i think that were just ahead of their time and were brave enough to say We don't think we're reaching our students anymore and we're actually serving them by the one teacher at the front, 20 students in front listening, all sitting facing forward, quiet, making notes, reading in a book, sprouting back what the teacher's given us. We're not certain that that's really what, like that's not plumbing the depths of what education could be. And I've watched institutions grapple with that question and go, okay, what would more process education look like as opposed to just, you know, the preaching, the lecturing element.
0: That's the shift from the teach-to-tell model, really, you know, or or the talk-to-teach model or something like that. Yes, yes, exactly. The one person upfront delivering content as a specialist to a whole bunch of people that are supposed to be receiving it, yeah.
1: Yes, 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 And, and, and their job is to passively receive it and at some level to actively receive it, but it's really just to log it in the memory bank. And so when you go and look at things like, well, you know, have we informed a number of students? Possibly. Looking at the test results, you know, we've we've informed 20% of our students 80%, we've informed 20% of our students 60%, and, and on it goes. But have we actually affected much change? Do they know how to think better? Are they prepared to investigate for themselves? Are they ready to go and be curious? You know, Einstein, if, uh, you know, I'm not certain that this is directly attributable to Einstein, but I like the thought, supposedly talks about education is where curiosity goes to die. And that should actually be the whole point of education is to encourage and to fan the flames of curiosity. And, and the, the searching mind, the, the, the mind that wants to go further than what it's been given or the questions it's been provided with, that really, really wants to, to take a run at it. And, and I think really good educational institutions have bravely faced that question and gone, we don't think that we're doing it. And it's, this, is, this doesn't cut it anymore. And so we need to look at different ways and and i think the church has just been very scared to do that for for a number of reasons and so isn't brave enough to go maybe this isn't actually good enough maybe there's something else and I, i'm i'm certain that there are and I, th- I think i can probably think of a few actually that that i know of that have been brave enough to go this is not really working we need to do something better and, and there's some good things to that, I think, and there are also some other things that we could come to at time, you know, in terms of, like, trying to do small groups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the preaching model is still so strong that, that it's often all of the changes are predicated on a, if we just, you know, transfer the right kind of information rather than go, but are we asking the right question? <laughs> um, it, Rob Bell, I've heard talk, he says that uh, a sermon, a preach, should be the beginning of a conversation. And I thought that was really good and very insightful because it means that there is a process to come after that, um, something that should be really engaged with, grappled with. um, And that's not necessarily a relational statement, but it definitely, it immediately takes preaching a lot further than just, well, I've stopped speaking, hence, you know, success. The job is done. Look at me, you know. And so I've, I've tried to move over time. I, in the last five years, I've had quite a few opportunities to preach, but I've taken very few of them. And in those that I've taken, I've been able retrospectively to be able to go, oh, okay, I took that one from my ego. I thought it would be a great chance to just impress everybody with my knowledge. And I don't think I did much, actually, by just talking for 40 minutes at people. And other times where I've tried to take really seriously the question of, okay, what would it do, what would it be to to stimulate some kind of deeper relational engagement through asking open-ended questions that would hopefully, and with the umbrella kind of clause of, hey, you need to go and wrestle with God with this kind of stuff. Hopefully that would still be some sort of, you know, there's some integrity that remains in the actual, just standing up and speaking in front of people. But I've transitioned just, you know, away from that into the process learning and facilitated learning and embodied learning. And that was a privilege that I had alongside witnessing some educations, really grappling with, you know, what is it, what is learning and how can we really do this in in group environments? to be able to run those kinds of embodied programs and really experiment with what is facilitated learning, what is learning that is that is interactive and relational in a group sense, but also within, a, within an individual. And it's very different to what the church is doing. It doesn't even come close. Um, but it's far harder to quantify that stuff. So I think that's another reason why the church... Are, <laughs> avoids it It's you know it's, it's, this it's, course it's, <laughs> yeah
0: well before before we really go down down that avenue i think there's 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 two things that come to mind really is is i know so many people who just want to be the preacher who want to plant a church because they want to preach and when i push them a little bit further it's like no i don't want to do counseling i don't want to do any of this i don't want to do children's mm. i don't want to do that we'll, that's I'll not my get, gifting it's not my gifting <laughs> i'll get other people to do it but i i want to be preach i want to be that main person who's the ceo or the you know the lead pastor and and my real job is to prepare the sermon and arrive to do the sermon but i don't have to be involved in people's lives and you know do any of the pastoral care stuff or you know any of the other kinds of thing. And i feel like on one hand that successful person has been elevated to such a degree and and usually what you have is you've got a number of people who build a church that come and go and then you get that one person who takes over at that magic point that it goes on and then suddenly like hey i'm the preacher that preached this you know i remember being in one church and Hearing this person preach about this sermon about how wonderful it was, and they took it over, and the church was about to crash and burn. And they, you know, they were like a pilot. They got in, they grabbed one wing, they grabbed another wing, they steered it to be this like wonderful big church, you know. And I looked at it, and I just went, "Yo, man, I've just wasted my time recording this and doing this as part of a research project." You know, like, <laughs> my goodness, like. Like like all I've done is, is listen to 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 an ego rant about how wonderful preaching is. And you know, of course anyone can do this and anyone can be called to it, but it but but you can't. It's a it's a pyramid scheme in the sense that you've got one person at the top who gives very few pre- preaching opportunities to other people. Why? Because you don't give up your pulpit, right? And I feel like that person But,
1: but you can go and preach in the youth service. Like that's yes. okay. okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can go and practice there.
0: Go practice on them, yeah. I remember (laughs) that. Yes, carry on. And really, often what happens there is is you've got this elevation of the lead teaching pastor, the lead person who preaches, and they're often paired with a kind of congregant who says things like, I've sat under pastor such and such teaching for 10 years, and they've been phenomenal. And I just want to pick a book up and slap them and say, what the fuck have you learned? Like, what have you learned? Mm, right, mm, right. Mm. Okay, so you've been under them learning for so long. This is like, this is beyond PhD level stuff. You've done You've done a full set of, of like real learning through this, okay. So, um, so just explain what the kingdom of God is to me. And they can't. You know, and what is the foundation of the faith? It's it's the good news of the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, that's what the good news is. So if we can't start there, what on earth have you been learning? But people are just so adamant that they've been there, they've got the spiritual food. And and I've just taken to saying to them, that's fantastic. Tell me what they preached on two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm met with a blank stare. I'm met with a, you know, with the equivalence of going, well, I don't know, but I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you, kind of thing. And 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 I just say, well, if that was so valuable, like like what was it? And if I prod and I poke and I ask a few questions, very little has been learned. even where they've done you know like a classic is to focus on the book of Revelation or you know book of John or something like that and they preach through it and you ask some basic questions there's no understanding of historical context background structure of book nothing that 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 people can generally transmit and so in that context it's very it's not teaching we shouldn't call it teaching because learning is not taking place and I think that's what frustrates me but this 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 sycophantic a dysfunctional pairing <laughs> of, of congregants yeah. that just want to sit under an entertainer for years and an entertainer that that believes that their preaching is resulting in change. And I look at them and go, is, is this not the most preached that generation in history? Is this not the most taught in generation in history of the church? There's very little to show for it, very little. So it's not the preaching that works. We we we're, we're missing something. In the way that we're preaching, or the way we're going about representing God, or the way in which we're in fact making preaching the main thing, as opposed to the relational engagement with God, and so that's that's really where my where my feeling lands. Um, you know, I I, I did I did some preaching back in the day, and you know, as we've uh, as I've been involved in trying to plant churches and that over the years as well, I've also done some some preaching, and and try to shift things towards participatory environments and i find that people are so schooled into preaching that they're actually waiting for that to happen they're waiting for church to start even in small groups and new groups and experimental groups and that people default to what they've been schooled into and what they've been schooled into is we arrive and yes we'll do worship and we'll do a number of other activities but the sermon the preaching is the main event that's actually what we do and that's what we're there for and once that is over well then the game is done, you know, and I feel like we're just we're just missing something so vital with that, um, which which is why I I definitely shifted because I, I I've I experienced a lot of resistance within churches or a lot of hype. So in some churches, you preach and you make space to invite God to come and the hype train takes over and it's just ridiculous. And in others, you, you preach and you're longing for that kind of stuff. And it's it's well, the show's over. That's it. We don't make room for that. Yeah. Why? Because we don't want the hype train. I keep looking at that and, and arguing that yes, we've got so many poor examples out there, but we've got very few good examples. And everyone speaks about their church as though it's not all churches. And I just hear going, yeah, not all white people, yeah, not all men, yeah, not all churches, our church is different, yeah, but you're actually not listening to the problem that's there on the ground. So just shut up about your church being so unique, because maybe it isn't. <laughs> um, Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm I feel like I'm quite emotion, quite emotive and quite harsh on this, <laughs> and I think it's it's I think I, th- I think it's because I put so much time into putting forward the relational engagement with God, and when people really were looking for that and they went to church, they couldn't find it, and they were made to be the problem. They were they were gaslighted out of that. They were told that where you're supposed to find God is in the sermon, in the worship, and they've gone, no. But we've been experiencing God speaking very clearly and accurately, and we've been experiencing God, and God's been transforming us. We want more of that. No, no, we don't. We don't chase experience and phenomena. We don't do that. Yeah, what you've been into is clearly heresy, because it's all by faith, it's all by the word of God, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so I feel like I've still got a lot of backlog. frustration around that and 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 really just looking for an alternative just going that's that's actually not what i signed up for and and i don't think it's what we should be doing not not in such a highly educated self-learning generation of people we actually need process and wisdom and relational engagement rather than throwing words at people
1: Mm, mm, absolutely and it's it, and not even to mention, because I, I like that pyramid that you talk about, because I've encountered that as well. So, you know, you you can't be trusted to preach, because that's, you know, that's the top of the pyramid. And it's very, this is the language that people have used with me before. It's a very public thing. So it's important, you know, that it's just like the top one percent that do that. Yeah.
0: But and so they're there for me, but not for you. You can't have them be there for you. They've got to be coming <laughs> yeah. there for me because it's my preaching that yeah. built the church.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but 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 so, so so none of you guys can do that. That's that's really the top. But but we will trust you to go and like interact with I don't know poor people or homeless people or people at the soup kitchen or you know like you you can go and do all that far less you know, transformative, <laughs> impactful work of the one-on-one relating to people. Or you can do the counseling or the pastoral visits or the funerals or the, you know, like all that stuff that, and, and there's like heavily tongue-in-cheek, all that stuff that doesn't really impact people and change people at all. Anybody who's had any, yeah, that's a bit of a stupid generalization, but I would put money on the fact I would put money on the majority of transformational experiences do not happen in a seated lecture environment. They, they are the small groups where somebody's had a rough time and somebody else spends 30 minutes with them in the parking lot that night after they've watched some teaching DVD or read some Bible passage or whatever. Or it's in that counseling session where that couple goes just absolutely like ready to call it quits and somebody actually listens and embodies a presence of care and concern and probably says some things, gives them some tools, teaches them some things, but it's in the bedrock of the relating. Or a transformational experience where where people are out serving and are face to face with those that they're serving and see something in themselves and in others that they haven't seen before. It's not happening at the top of the pyramid, but, you know, and this is, why I also get just like hot under the collar because no, no, only, only special people can do that stuff at the top. The rest of the real transformational work we can leave to you. idiots. We'll, we'll, we'll go and do the pseudo transformational stuff that feeds our egos. And it's just, yeah, you know, it's just such a load of crap. In a way, I would echo what, what you said, which is if somebody was listening to this and going, no, absolutely not. That's not our church. Set that aside for a minute and just and, and, and think carefully about what are all the other aspects, the relational embodied aspects of what it means to live out a relationship with God, self, and others outside of preaching. What are all those things that are happening and that could be happening and should be happening perhaps more and more and more that are supplanted by preaching with its fake bravado in terms of what it can accomplish, Where, to my mind, which it just patently cannot? Think through those sorts of things and think through your own experiences of when you've been touched by somebody, a visit, a kind word, a hug, a shoulder to cry on perhaps even some some counsel or counseling but i would i'd put money on it's not in the detached you know relationless environment of the clinical just somebody at the front delivering a lecture and there you go so the process is better the embodied stuff i think is better it's harder it takes longer takes a hell of a amount of effort It's far less easy to just wrap up in a bow and go, oh, look at what we achieved in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Awesome. The rest of the week we can spend doing bugger all. And we'll just come back together on Sunday and change the world again for an hour and a half at a time. The rest of it is like soul searching, like grit between your teeth, kind of walking uphill and the sun, beating down on you kind of work to really get stuck in relationally at, at grassroots with yourself, with others. It's, it's fucking hard work. That's why so few people do it. I'm reading a book on the, en- the Enneagram at the moment, and, and one of the things the author says up front is, listen, I'm just going to warn you up front. Lots of people get in touch with the Enneagram and go, oh, what a nice bunch of facts I've learned about myself or other people or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Yay. And that's as far as they go. Others will take it a little bit further and, and think a bit about themselves and go, oh, there's some some interesting stuff there that, that, uh, that I, I can think about clever little ways in which maybe that's me or might relate to me or whatever. Still f- others will go to the level of thinking about sort of groundbreaking new ways to understand the system and what it means. And, and, but again, it's, it's more fact-based. He said very few people will delve into the depths of what it means to integrate this knowledge into their life and will do the hard internal work Of coming to terms with their type and who they are, where they're unhealthy, where they're healthy, and actually start to work towards who their true self really is. Most of the rest of it is just, oh, it's just nice fluff, you know, it's just nice. uh, Oh, I can know this, I can know that I can know the rest of the um, just fancy things I can know about myself, as opposed to, uh, to really get down and do the work. And and that's why I would put my money on the process because you really have to do the work. You really have to do the work.
0: There's there's a lot to explore in the in the in the language of the outer self versus the inner self, and how preaching gets people to conform in terms of their outer self, but never really to get deeper down to who they really are, and to face that and actually face that deeper transformation within. So although the language in the preaching environment is often as God looks at the hearts there's the opportunity for that looking at the heart in that context really that's not what's being cultivated by preaching for either the individuals or for god and so 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 one of the things that's very different and difficult with process really is people really have to want to do it and they have to show up to do it but you don't really have to show up very much to sit in a pew and switch off for 40 minutes or yes, to yes, be yes. entertained for 40 minutes, or to be inspired, or to feel like you're getting your day, you know, your weekly dose of what fuels you for the week in terms of your faith, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's you very low-level it, sign-up. It's very low-level sign-up, yeah. And and on the flip side, if you, you can see that in that environment where if you try to shift the dynamics to people interacting, people are so unschooled in interacting that they don't actually know how. And so, so part of the problem, I think, is, is twofold. It's created by a low-level culture of interaction where people are actually wanting to show up to churches, not to process and transform and engage, but to actually sit there and have a good sermon, and then have good coffee, and to have good worship. And all of that is is them showing up as a consumer. So I feel like our consumer culture is actually at the at the part of it, that our institutional churches where the liturgy was central, and the, the Mass for central, central has been displaced by, by the consumer church where good worship, good coffee and good preaching is actually what people are there for to be consumed. I, I remember there was a particular church brand um, known for their music <laughs> from Australia opening up in South Africa and I eventually got dragged three to one kicking and screaming really and I arrive. And you've just got this process of ushers that are there to take you in. And they, they I mean, they had everything right. You know, if you to take good church growth and church planting theory, they're on the corner of two highways. They're in a high profile area. They've got all the good parking. It's a great auditorium, you know, everything. And, and really coming in, it's like they were so excited. You know, Jesus put us here to give you the best experience of church ever. You know, Did you get your <laughs> ticket before coming in? We'll show you to your seats. And everything in me just, just wanted to go, what the hell is going on here, you know. And Jesus and,
1: dies for a second time yeah, <laughs> as Jesus yeah, watches it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that that really is taking the Lord's <laughs> name in vain. I apologize, but that's the well, first well, thought well, that comes to mind.
0: Well, no, it's, it's the translation of Jesus said, go into all the world, make sure you plant a church in every corner. You've got to preach for 40 minutes every Sunday, because that's what's key, uh, especially, and yes, really important, Take in those tithes, buddy. Take in those tithes, because that's how you're going to measure the blessing, and you're going to measure their investment in the kingdom. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to know who to give the return to, and I'll repay it at some point. They're not going to go when. they can't rely on it; they can't predict. But I'll repay it in some way that is actually valuable, <laughs> you know. Um, and that's not just the cynicism in me uh, speaking; uh, it's actual. I mean, I literally, I have on record had people doing these challenges from Scripture, you know, and, and there was even the quote of like bringing your tithes to the storehouse. And they they literally in one church had this thing of going, you show us and you demonstrate that you're tithing faithfully. And if God hasn't given you your breakthrough in six months, we'll give you that back. Provided you go through our debt counselling and our financial counselling and you submit to us in that. <laughs> you know, and I've been in other churches where, where where to become a member you expected to submit a copy of your pay slip so they could take their ten percent and they debit it straight from your accounts. You know, and that's part of what you were doing by signing up. You know, that that stuff is so rife. It is just it's just so rife and so ridiculous but that that again takes us down a a rabbit hole that we don't necessarily want to go you know over over the years i've really shifted to the idea of relational engagement people to people and relational engagement individuals to god and the community to god and god to them and really looked to see that as being more central than anything that could be taught and said and, and probably seen more transformation in shorter periods of time through that. But it ends up being quite challenging, because people don't want to necessarily sign up for that. So what, one of the series that I've put out is is the Trinity sessions. And I've literally had people that lead churches go, hell, there's no ways we'd want something like that. I mean, we'd if we taught on the Trinity, we'd confuse anyone. But, but basically to shift to tell people get people to tell their stories about how they've experienced the Father or the Son or the Spirit, we don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm going, hang on, wait, hang on, just rewind that for me. Just just I want to get that on tape and play it out there in the world. Because you're going, our faith is about relating to this God, but we don't want anyone to actually process the stories and, and, and look at how they can cultivate a relationship with each of these persons of the Godhead. Wait, wait, wait. I really need to backtrack that and think about what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's nonsensical.
0: It's at the point that it's just totally ridiculous. Uh, what's even more frightening, though, is what comes out when people tell those stories. But I mean, that's—I feel like that's for another time. That'll go down a rabbit hole, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I—I I, I do think just—if so I could try and sum that up a little bit in terms of what you're putting there. I I think there are some foundational elements of which preaching is very much a very clear kind of tip of the iceberg stuff in terms of what it means to create church like that. You talk about the positioning, you know, on two main highways, lots of parking, blah, 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 blah. It's just a corporate approach. It's an incredibly well-studied, well-thought-out, well-marketed machine that just knows how to replicate this kind of stuff. And, and preaching is a part of that. And so a number of these things feed into what you then see manifesting on stage in this preaching presence. And part of that is very, very clearly demarcated and protected boundaries. And one of the, so one of the things on the table is very little mess. You know, that's why it's so slick in Ushers, blah, 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 blah. It's not messy. It's easily digestible. It's cheap sugar. It's Mac faith. It's, you know, it's, you you don't have to work very hard. It's not low GI stuff. But if you let the low GI stuff in, it screws screws up all of that. It screws up having, like, if you want to have a short, powerful, punchy worship set of 30 minutes, like, it screws it up when you have to stop and spend some time in silence, And you're not sure how long that silence is going to be. Or you have people suddenly crying. Or you have some people needing to go off and sit on the side and talk to somebody else. Or, you know, like, there's so many things that I could describe there. But that's messy. Preaching is not messy when it's done like that. And I think through many of the other churches. Like, it doesn't matter what background of church I've been to, there's often a very clear six minutes for this, eight minutes for that, even if they can't articulate it. Like the corporate churches just do that very, very well. So they're very clear. It is seven minutes for this, 12 minutes for that. But the others just have it at a gut feel, even a liturgical sense. Like you don't take that long to say the Gloria in an Anglican church or to sing it. It plays out this way every time, every Sunday. It's There's a slickness to it. People know. In the door, out in an hour and a half, go home. You know, avoid people definitely on the way past the coffee station on the way out. So you don't have to talk to anyone, you know, kind of thing. And, and so this is the tip of the iceberg stuff. But what, what you're suggesting and what we're talking about, what we're both suggesting here is that the messy actually has a very good place. That's the story element. That story element is disruptive because it screws with the entire ego setup of the slick, the easily digestible, etc. But it's also the most nourishing but you have to work damn hard. Like you've got to grind that flour yourself, bake your own bread, and then you get a slice of bread. It's not how many cheeseburgers would you like for $2. It's, it's just not. And, and I think to, to not go down the rabbit hole, but to try and like, if, if I think about it as a picture in terms of what you've described, that's what it is that frustrates me. That, that's why those boundaries are there, is to protect the rolling on of that machine. And preaching is one of the ways in which that boundary is guarded viciously. Not everyone can preach. We won't have people telling their stories unless it's pre-checked because it could go against the preaching. It might, you know, it might elicit something in somebody else. It might raise questions that are difficult and then we'd have to deviate from our preaching series to correct these idiots on their bad faith because of their experience, blah, 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 you know. But process takes all of that in its stride and goes, of course, it's going to be messy. Of course, it might get worse before it gets better. Of course, there are going to be questions and uncertainties and you know long, dark, panic nights of the soul, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Process goes, we welcome all of that because that's what it is to be human to be deeply a relational being, to relate to yourself and God and others. That's what we see, I think, in Scripture. It's not all easily packaged. That's what we see when you listen to anyone's experience, when you actually are willing to take the time and put the effort in. But preaching is one of the main tools, and there are a number of them at the disposal of all the way from the slick corporate church down to many other churches that don't want to go that route that use that to delineate those boundaries and, and keep the walls up nice and high. And so it is important perhaps, you know, not to get into all the details of that. Now, as you say, at some point we would, but I think it's important to just understand that picture that you're, you know, that, that, that you're putting out and I'm responding to here. Um, for any listeners, it's, it's really key. It can be a way to negate the opportunity To be fundamentally human, which is to be a relational being and to take seriously that you are and that there are others out there, and that there is a divine self that is also a relational being that wants to relate. And that's partly why it feels so like drinking tap water and telling yourself that you're eating prime steak. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: It's nonsensical. It's
0: correct. I tend to think that there's just enough nourishment taking place to give people some kind of subsistence level.
1: That's true. It's gruel, right? It's not water. It's gruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think if we go back to the to the research done by O.C. Africa, and the recognition by church leaders across South Africa, for instance, that their number one unmet need is that of intimacy with God. If if I go back to that, if that is if that is what church wholesale is saying, the church leaders are saying, then the people that are actually making church happen for people are the people that are experiencing the very work that they're doing and the primary activity that Christians do is not actually satisfying the goal of enabling relational intimacy with God and not meeting that, not facilitating that, not encouraging that, not schooling people towards that, not making space for that in any way and not satisfying that. And if that is the case And we've got a doubly dysfunctional environment where the doing church paradigm is so strong that it basically says the way you get close to God is double down on doing church. Make sure that you're serving make sure that you're attending, making sure that you're tithing, making sure that you're you're doing home groups, make sure that you're doing a, a ministry service where it's all about the church. What is, your, what is your ministry? What has God called you to do in this church? Oh yeah, I pack out chairs, I help in the aisle, <laughs> you know, I serve coffee, I do children's ministry, I'm in the worship band. Cool, so there's something else that you're doing as part of this. Yeah, this all helps you to feel part of this serving community and here's where your discipleship and growth takes place and all that kind of thing. But it's really only while you're buying into that and while those systems are working for you that you can feel that you're achieving something. There's often a point where people arrive at and they go, hang on, I thought that I'm supposed to be meeting God within a, in a much more immediate way and I'm discovering that by doing this I'm not. So is God real? And is God actually present and active? Or am I just left to search for the mystery of God in these activities? And then I've got to say, God has spoken to me through them. Because I think that's largely where people land. And so I think this problem is actually quite complex. And it's really hard to to deal with, because the doing church paradigm is so strong, the preaching paradigm is so strong, that it actually defines this experience and this practice as though it is supposed to meet all these needs. And then the minister's questions start opening up. People start recognizing, okay, I was taught to preach, but I wasn't taught to represent a God that was going to speak to me ahead and then actually arrive to speak to people after the sermon. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I did not even know where to begin with that. And then you've got a congregation going, yeah, well, you know, we're a mainline church or we're a, we're a, we're a word of faith based church or, or, a, or whatever we don't do what those crazy Pentecostals and Charismatics do. Okay, cool. Well, you don't do that, but you, we certainly don't make opportunity for God as a distinct, somewhat in this environment either. Is that yeah. possible? No, no, no. Hang on. Whoa, where are you going? It's the sermon, buddy. The sermon is the main event. <laughs> you know, it's the Word of God. It's the Bible. You know, so so I think I think we've got so much that actually cuts against it, and and it's not surprising that so many people leaving churches will go on a mindfulness retreats and spend 10 days somewhere and go, I I didn't experience this much benefit in 10 years of being in church. And people regularly say that to me. Or someone will go and pay an energy healer to do a reading on them. Why? Because that person is going to come to them and it's going to have information. And they're going to, and this person doesn't know them, so they're going to get that information. And and, and it's going to be relevant to their life. You know, um, we go to Christians for that. What do you get? You get a sermon, you get a teaching, you get a Oh well, God will speak to you in and through these things, but you don't get that direct, you know, sense that there is something beyond us. And although we we've got a lot of language for it in Christianity, you know, words like mystagogy for instance, which is about, you know, the God that's beyond or that reaching beyond, or how do you find this fulfilment? It's really about the transition from, you know, we believe in this God, but can we actually experience this God? You know, um, you know, that's been a perpetual question since we've instituted the institutional church, you know, since that became primary. And I think we're still dealing with that problem today. Um, I, I really think that facilitated processes are much more valuable. But you can't do them on scale. How do you do a facilitated process one person to a thousand people? yeah, Two thousand yeah. people, three hundred people. Yeah. You, you can't do that. We need different, we actually need to reconstitute how we go about meeting. So we really have to think it up in terms of what are our values, what are our priorities, what are our practices. And if our value is transformation and growth, and our priorities on that, then we actually have to have practices in place for that. Our preaching is not satisfying the priority for that growth, and it's not meeting the value for that growth. When we work backwards from there, that's not what we're achieving. And I think it's very hard to acknowledge that, especially when you're in structure and you've built that structure. And people are schooled into that. And that's what they're there for. And if they don't get that, you know what? They're going to go somewhere else. And they're going to vote with their feet and they're going to vote with their pockets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I like how you're summing that up. And and the first thought that comes to me is that, actually, I think we should uh, pause here quite soon and split what we're talking about into two sessions because I think we've probably had a good hour, if not a bit longer already, just to sort of lay some of the track work out here. And we haven't even touched really and done justice on what facilitated process would look like. And that really begs quite a bit more time to go into. You know, you just make the comment about how do you do that with one in 300, one to 1,000, one to 2,000, to really explore, okay, what, what what do we mean by the alternatives there? Um, you know, as opposed to just preaching. So preaching in process. Um, but also in terms of what you say, just how complex the situation is, that it's not actually as easy to just sum up as, oh, there's preaching and then there's this, and this is what preaching is, this is what the other thing is. Um, and I think we've covered a huge amount of good ground in terms of laying those tracks. I don't, I don't know what you feel. You can let me know what, what you're thinking, but I, I agree with that. This, this seems to, <laughs> seems to beg the suggestion of a two parter, because I think then we'd really be able to start fresh. And I want to think a little bit more about it as well, in terms of how does one position that leveraging of this. Mm. 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 mm.
0: mm. mm. Yeah, and, and and the challenge of going—do you do you do the two of you actually have anything to deliver? I mean, you've got all these criticisms, but you know, have you actually done anything? Do you have anything to put on the table for us to work with? And yes, we do. Just a uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> but, but, but I yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I I think it's. Um, I think I've had a successful rant about preaching, perhaps more than anything else. Yeah. I'm sorry, Steve. (laughs)
1: No, 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 no. I I think I think we've we've opened up a couple of really good cans, I think, in terms of just laying out what it might and might not do and some of the dangers around the way in which it's held and the esteem in which it's held, etc. And so but but it is it is harder to quantify it can't be summed up in a rant so i don't think we're only ranting i think there's some there's definitely for me i think there's there is some some emotional sort of weight to this in terms of what i've experienced and what i see happening to others through preaching but at the same time i wouldn't think it's only that i think yeah i think i think we're starting to to poke in a good direction and i would even just leave all of this little sum up Last couple of minutes at the end of the episode as well for uh, for you, dear listener, to see us uh, realizing things as we talk and as we explore and as we poke and prod. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and and hopefully you'll stick with us for uh, round two where we have a further look at this.
0: Cool. Well, I, I think I think you're actually spot on with that, and, uh, and and time has flown, so I think that's a good point to call it then, and we'll uh, we'll pick this up next week.